Welcome to the Trad Geeks Podcast, presented by Sitka Gear. Here are your hosts, Kevin Merrill, Mike Drew, and Mark Kepler. What's happening, guys? We are up to episode number 65, and it's a pretty sick guest today, as always. Who is it, Kevin? Clay Hayes. He builds self-bows, does some cinematography, big into trad. It's been a long time coming. We're excited. All right, guys, we have Clay Hayes on the line. Uh, Clay runs Twisted Stave Media and um, builds a lot of self-bows, so we definitely want to dive into that, as well as some of the cinematography he does. But Clay, for the people that don't know who you are, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself and, and what you have going on in the traditional archery community. Yeah, so my name is Clay Hayes. I've uh, run a website called twistedstave.com, and mainly uh what i focus on is bow building um but then i also do a lot of uh like how to basically everything traditional archery uh everything from you know how to serve a string to shooting tips and things like that um a lot of that stuff is is hosted on my website um do a ton of stuff on youtube um and then i uh i do a little bit of filmmaking as well my my thing with uh, the self bows really, it's it's something that I want to do here in the future. Um, my dad has built a few on his own just out of some hickory and stuff like that. But it's something that I need to learn a lot about. I don't know much about it. I'm not ready for that journey yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, I know you have a lot of YouTube videos up and stuff like that, but c- could we talk about that briefly? Like I have, I have 30 acres here in Pennsylvania and someday it's my goal to go piece up, go pick a piece of wood on my property. If this is even possible and build a self bell with very, very limited tools. What would be, what would be my mm-hmm. first step in that process? Well, you'd need to figure out what kind of trees you got on your property to begin with. You're in Pennsylvania, I'm uh, assuming. Yep. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of poplar, which is a really soft wood. I have oak, um, white oak, red yep. oak, um, some hickory, uh, black walnut, to name a few. Some cherry stuff like that. That's that's pretty much the majority of the yep. wood. Some iron wood. Um, which I believe is a really hard wood, but nothing like Osage or anything like that that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, you know, people get hung up on Osage, and Osage is, you know, to be honest with you, it probably is the best bow wood we have in the country, but uh, you named off some woods that uh, you could make a very good self-bow with. Uh, You could harvest right there on your place. Uh, Hickory is great wood and as is iron. when you say iron what i'm assuming you're talking about one of the, the horn beams yep um but uh, both of those make great bows so what would i do to start like what you go i'm assuming cut down and make a stave what's what's the process in that and then is there an aging limp like do i have to let it age for a while you know go into some detail there are things you're looking for as far as like you know, the, making sure it's straight, knots, anything like that. Um, 
I know this is probably really general for you, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that uh, don't know anything about it as well as myself. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so I'll just give you kind of a, a real brief overview and timeline of what you'd be looking at. So uh, you'd go out and find uh, find you a little hickory tree, and um, it's better if you can harvest your staves from a, a larger tree uh, because it doesn't have when you uh, when you take a stave out of a large tree, it doesn't have uh, as much crown on the back, and so what I mean by crown is um, uh, the the back isn't humped up, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just uh, that helps to so if if you have uh, less crown, it just helps distribute that stress over a wider area. Um, anyway, uh, you go go and harvest a tree, split it in the stave. So let's say you would harvest an eight inch hickory tree. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and split that in half, and split it in half again, and quarter it up. Um, and ideally, you'd be looking for a tree that doesn't have any twist in the grain, so it doesn't have any spiral in it. And so your staves are going to split out nice and straight. Um, and with most of the hickories, um, you could actually start uh, immediately on the bow. Uh, you can, uh, if you if you harvest that tree in the springtime, that that uh, bark and cambium is just going to come right off, mm-hmm. um, uh, and this, that's going to leave you a nice, nice pristine. Um, uh, the outer layer of wood is would be the back of your bow um, uh, when you're doing it that way with a white wood. Okay. Um, and so you just peel the, peel the bark off, and uh, you could just start roughing your bow out right then. Now, um, if you if you were working with other types of wood, you probably wouldn't want to do that because they would, uh, as they're drying, they would develop uh, drying cracks all up and down them. And so you'd need to let different woods like Osage uh, season for a lot longer. But um, with hickory, you could really, it's such a tough wood that you can get away with, uh, with working those, those, that type of wood green. Nice. And do you just, you know, once you have that stave and you start roughing it out, are you, you know, with your self bows, do you do it like real primal with like a, I don't even know what they're called. You kind of just drag it and, and rough it out that way. Or are you using like a bandsaw, um, table saw or anything like that to get, you know, more precise? Or are you just kind of throwing it on a set of horses and just roughing it out by hand? Yeah, no. So I would say about 90% of the work that I do on a bow is done with, with just a draw knife. That That's the only tool. And I could... I could make an entire bow with nothing but a draw knife. Um, uh, the, you know, I use a rasp and, and uh-huh. some other minimal tools. Um, but like I said, the, the vast majority of it's done with just a draw knife. That's awesome. And when I go to do it, that's, that's how I want to do it. And like I said, this is, it might be closer to my future than I think, but, um, right now I'm just, I'm like, for some reason I feel like I need to save this. Like, I feel like it'd be like trad all over again for me, you know, and we could go into what is traditional archery is the, is the modern recurves and longbows, even traditional archery. And there's the whole can of worms there as, as well as I'm sure you're aware of, but I feel like I want to save this project for like 
when my kids are grown up and they've been successful and it's like about me again because right now it's about my son Finn and getting him into hunting and obviously I'm passionate enough I'll still hunt but I'm really focusing on him a lot right now so it's a project I'm really looking forward to but I feel like I want to do it that way with just like a draw knife um real as simplistic as I can get it uh what kind of speeds and stuff are you getting out of these self bows? Um, well, it really depends on the bow design and obviously the, the weight of the arrow that you're shooting. Um, but I, I posted a video on Facebook here a little while back of a recurve that I built. And I actually, when I, when I posted the video, I guessed the weight uh, just by how it felt. And I guessed it at 52. And I was shooting a 470 grain arrow at... 169 feet per second um and i uh when i put it on the scale the next day it was actually the bow actually drew um 48 pounds at uh 28 inches and so i was shooting a 10 grain per pound arrow almost 170 feet per second which is holy damn good for yourself, that's really good heck some of the modern recurves and longbows don't even do that so that's impressive now how long You've been doing this, I'm sure, for years. How long did it take you to to have a bow, a self bow, that you felt confident with to go hunting? You know, a good design that you felt confident with. Was it your first one? Was it multiple ones? How many failures do you have building these um, things like that? Yeah. Um I don't know, man. That's been so long ago. Uh, I started building bows when I was 19. Hmm. Uh, so that would have been, uh, well, let's see, that would have been 2000 uh, or somewhere around there. Um, and I don't know how many I've broken, but, uh, that, that, uh, that brings up a good point that I want to make. I get emails. I get a ton of emails from guys that are wanting to build bows and they're saying, Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm building my first bow. Um, and I want, you know, they're, they're looking for like the perfect bow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and they want that, you know, they, one of the things that they want to do is buy an Osage stave, which an Osage, like a good Osage stave cured out, like a premium stave is going to cost you a hundred bucks or more. And I'm, I'm, I, I tell these guys that look, look, man, you need to go and cut down a, a sapling or something and make some bows out of that. It's not going to cost you anything because you will, you're going to mess up. Um, and that's part of the process. Uh, unless you have someone with a lot of experience standing there right there over your shoulder every step of the way, you're, you're going to mess some bows up if you're doing it on your own. And so, um, you know, just don't let that discourage you and, and stick with it. And it's, it's, you learn something with every one of them. But, um, as far as my bows go, they, my bows, the designs um, have really evolved a lot over time, and they're still evolving. Um, you know, when you when you build as many bows as I do, and I have, um, you're always wanting to try something different. You know, there's always something new, some new design, or um, or something new to change or, or uh, try out and. You can actually like almost date my bows like you could like a vintage car, just mm-hmm. based on how the how the body uh, styles have changed. Um, so that's kind of fascinating. Like uh, my bows, like here recently, I've building I've been building some um, 
some pretty intense recurves. And uh, that's kind of evolved from maybe just a little bit of reflex and then a little more and finally got into the recurves. And then uh, it, I've just been seeing how far I can push it and how short I can make the bows and um, just trying to push the speed out of them. But uh, I don't know, man. It's you, you just need to go cut down a tree and get started because it's fun. <laughs> it <laughs> sounds awesome. really fun. I'm, I, like I said, I am looking forward to that. My dad was out. Oh, when was it? When I when I first bought the property, and he's like, "I wanna, I wanna try making a bow," and you know, he used all the the table saw and bandsaw and stuff like that to make his, and and he used some of the black walnut um, on the property. And I can't even. It was just like a it's a self bow, but it's there's not much to it. You know what I mean? It's just straight. It's just a standard, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, almost like a Boy Scout bow. I guess I would describe it like that, only for an adult. And um, man, we have a lot of fun just shooting that in the yard. My mom shoots it on occasion, and uh, we're not real accurate with it yet. But uh, I'm sure that's is that part of the challenge in building the bows? Is it the the accuracy? Is it the forgiveness that's tough? Um, you know, what is it in the bow that you find the toughest to to get or you know to evolve over the time of you building bows um i don't i don't know if there's any one thing that's like uh, working with wood and and building things with my hands just has always kind of come naturally to me Mm -hmm. but i mean you you learn something i've been building bows for 17 years or something like that and i've built hundreds of them and I, I'm still learning about bow building um, because you are always, always evolving and always trying to just trying something new. Um, as far as like shooting the bows uh, and the accuracy goes, uh, I and that this may be a some people might not be able to believe this, but I really don't think that there's anything inherent about a, a well-made and well-tillered self-bow that is that makes it anything any less accurate than a, a mm-hmm. modern, you know, glass bow. Um, you're, you know, if you're an aimer, which I am, I, I tend to, I tend to gap shoot, um, a, a, a form of gap shooting anyway. But, um, you know, with those slower arrow speeds, you know, you're not going to be shooting 180, 190 feet per second. And so your trajectory, obviously influences your gaps and aiming and all that stuff um but i the way i make myself bows i cut an arrow shelf into them um and i shoot them just like someone would shoot uh you know a modern glass bow i i draw back i hold i aim Mm -hmm. you know and uh the way that i shoot them is a little bit uncommon in the self bow world i mean there's a ton of snap shooters uh, shooting self bows, um, but I, I don't. I I never could get very good like that. That's awesome, and I I, I guess if if it's tillered well and it, everything's lined up, there's no reason why it shouldn't shoot as well as a, a modern, you know, glassed bow or something like that. I think with with the ones my dad built, they're low poundage. We never really took the time to to tune arrows to them and stuff like that. We just more or less had fun with them. Um, my buddy did make an Osage yeah. bow, and he has a, he has a hard time shooting it though, and uh, that was his first ever bow he's ever built. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it too. But um, there is a big difference 
between a well-made bow and, and, you know, any stick that you put a string on will shoot an arrow and you could call it a bow. But there's a huge difference between that and a, a really well-made, well-tuned, well-tillered bow. Yeah, I'm sure there is. When you when you make these these bows, do you back them with anything? Cloth or, like, which woods do you... For instance, that hickory bow, if I would build one out of my, you know, off the property there, would I have to back it with anything or can I just use just that wood? Uh, no, hickory is hickory's one of the woods that, uh, like I said, that it's extremely tough um, and you wouldn't have to have any backing at all on that. And, and people actually uh, will cut hickory into slats and use it to back other woods like uh, i'm sure you if you've got hickory and some of those other hardwoods i'm, I'm sure you probably have eastern red cedar mm. um eastern red cedar will actually make a, a a very good bow and a very fast bow um if you, but you have to back it with something um actually some of the probably the fastest bows that i've ever made were made with uh, eastern red cedar backed with sinew um just because it's such a, a it's such a physically light weight wood that there's no limb mass um and so you know extra limb mass just uh um increases your inertia it uh, uses up energy to overcome all that stuff and um you know when you use those really lightweight woods like that uh you can really get some fast bows yeah i i was actually thinking of planting some eastern cedars on my property for some cover for the deer i'm big into management and stuff like that and um, the property's getting timbered here shortly, but we don't, I don't have a lot of thermal cover. So that would be a kind of a cool project. Cause I, I want to keep them at a certain height. I don't want them getting too high. And then I've read things where they can become overpopulated too, if they're not managed. So it'd be cool to plant one now and then in 15 or 20 years, cut it down and build a bow out of it. <laughs> they, uh, the, I don't know if it's uh, if this is a prevalent there around uh, your place, but I, I went to grad school in Mississippi, and um, the 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 little eastern red cedars. I could walk through the woods in the summertime, and I could pick out trees that were going to have buck rubs on them. And nine times out of ten, they would be on a little small eastern red cedar. Exactly, they love those things. They do, they do, and I've really there's a a big power line that goes back to my house through the middle of the woods. And it, it just needs some type of cover on it. They like to bed there to begin with. It's in a perfect location. So I've thought about planting some cedars in it for sure in that area. And, and then throughout the property, cause like I said, there's just not a lot of thermal cover, but I agree with you. Anytime that I have seen them, the bucks just tend to, to love to rub on them and it'd make a beautiful little, uh, rub line there for me right below the house. So, might end up doing that. Uh -huh. <clears throat> I know you have you have a few things going on through the website there, Clay. One, all the stuff we just talked about with bow building, I know you have on the website for people. Um, so make sure you go over there if you're more interested in learning how to build self bows. But you also are big into film and cinematography, and Mark and I, we we love doing that and continue to strive to get better at it every day. And we just launched a film as well, but tell us a little bit about some of the projects you've done. And, uh, if you have any coming up here in the future, <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, 
So my first film uh, was called Untamed. And that, I think, if I remember right, that came out in 2014 um, uh, and premiered at the Backcountry Hunters and English Rendezvous in Denver. Um, and I got a, got a ton of, you know, great, great feedback off that film. Um, uh, and it's basically just kind of, it's all about bow building and bow hunting and kind of what all that stuff means to me, you know. Um, it's a huge part of my life, and uh, I'm sure you guys are just as passionate about it as I am, but um, that's what that first film is about. Um, and then I think it was the next year I uh, put out my second film called, called Ascent, and that was more of a, uh, more of an adventure type film film um we did a backcountry mule deer hunt uh where we flew in uh and uh into one of the backcountry airstrips and uh, took a raft back there and spent 10 days on the river in november right in the middle of the mule deer rut and um i ended up killing a little buck on that uh with a pretty unique technique i don't know if you guys have seen that film but uh um the so jim Good. So uh, Jim Akinson um, is, lived in uh, the Frank Church Wilderness for he, he operated the, the Taylor Ranch, which is an end holding for the uh, University of Idaho. And uh, he's a traditional guy. And I heard him give a talk about this technique that he used called the lost wallet technique, um, where basically so these deer are not pressured, um, but to get within bow range of them is not easy, especially when you're trying to spot and stalk, which is very tempting to try to do, but it's damn near impossible uh, just because the country's so wide open and oftentimes the ground's frozen, so it's noisy. But uh, what Jim was doing was finding these little groups of does and basically just like not trying to hide at all just like walking around you know fiddling around kicking kicking uh, rocks and picking grass and uh he would you know over the course of a couple of days he would just ease in closer and closer to these does and they would eventually just like that eh, you know they would uh they would not even pay attention to him anymore because <laughs> they, they didn't perceive him as a threat and um and so he would like befriend these groups of does. And so what these bucks do is uh, they will go from one group to another and you can watch them. You can sit on the hills and watch these bucks, you know, traverse these hills and they'll go uh, hang out with one group of those, check them to see if anything's in estrus and then they'll move to the next one. And so, you know, while he's just like buddied up with these does hanging out, you know, just like sit on a stump, he's just waiting on a buck to come by and man, he has killed some absolute toads in there like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I tried it, you know, we, we were in there and I, of course I didn't, you know, I, I this is not my go-to hunting strategy. You know, I've never done this before. And so I was trying to do the spot and stalk thing, you know, just like I always have. Um, but, and we tried that for a couple of days and it just was not working uh you know the like i said the ground is crunchy the the deer uh, hear you the the country's open they see you i mean it just it wasn't working at all and so i finally just 
submitted and i was like all right well hell you know mate i'll try it and sure as hell it worked it worked like a charm that's awesome how long did it take you for those deer to get used to you being there well that that's one of the interesting parts because um we when we were floating down there uh there was a a campsite that uh we knew it was up ahead but i didn't want to miss it and so uh we beached the raft uh about two or three hundred yards above where we thought it was and i got out got on the bank and hiked down and uh, when I was hiking, I actually walked uh, pretty close to a group of does, and um, they they didn't really pay me a whole lot of attention. And and what I'm thinking is that they were seeing just hikers, you know, through hikers all the time, and so they just you know thought I was a hiker. And so um, you know, a couple days later, after all these failed spot and stalk attempts, I went and found that group of does, and I did it in one day. I um I just kind of eased eased around just like Jim had showed, uh, and like it shows on the film, uh, just looking at the ground and picking leaves and just not, just kind of side stepping up to them and not really not looking at them. You know, you don't want to look at them dead on. You darn sure don't want to crouch down like you're trying to stalk anything, um, because that will make them nervous and they'll leave. But man, if you just walk around like you don't care that they're there they'll eventually just quit paying attention to you. <laughs> Man. I wish the white towel here in PA would do that for me. <laughs> it'd, make, it'd make her out a lot more interesting, that's for sure. I was just going to mention one thing, one big difference between the muleys and the whitetails. Um, you know, here, like we have some pretty good, uh, pretty good whitetail hunting up in North Idaho. And uh, in some of the country... You know, you can find the whitetails out in that kind of open ponderosa pine type stuff, and you could actually do that. But even if you could get within bow range, they're they're looking at you, you know. And with a whitetail, it's been my experience that I don't care if they're ten feet from me, if they're looking at me, they're just not going to be there when my arrow gets there. They're just so fast. Yeah. Um, and and mule deer are from it in my experience and I, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience with mule deer but uh my the experiences i have had they're they they uh they'll let you get away with a lot more and um like that deer that i shot on that film i mean he was looking right square at me uh, and he was 10 yards and he didn't flinch a hair uh when i shot what uh, what hunts do you have planned this year clay uh so i am uh taking off to florida on march 6th i'm gonna do a pig hunt down there um gonna make a film out of that and then uh then i'm headed up to madison wisconsin gonna do a give a talk at the professional bow under society bank put up there and then we're headed to oklahoma city to the self bow oklahoma self bow jamboree uh gonna harvest a bunch of osage maybe do a pig hunt there and then uh, I may, I may try to get into the backcountry for a bear hunt this spring. I don't, I haven't figured that out yet. Um, then always we have turkeys up here that I like to chase around, and ma- mainly just harass with my bow because uh, they're pretty hard to <laughs> without a blind. <laughs> they're they're pretty hard to kill without a blind. Um, and then uh, then come fall, it's. Uh, September in the elk uh, elk woods. I, I was fortunate enough to go on my first elk hunt here this past year, and 
man, I'm jealous of everybody that gets to hunt them every single year like that. Uh, I need to move. <laughs> you know, I always knew that the West was where I was meant to be. And, uh, man, when I graduated uh, from college, I just didn't have a plan, man. I just got in the truck, me and my wife, and took off. And we've been here ever since. That's awesome. What do you do for a living, Clay? Well, uh, there's been some recent changes. Um, so I uh, I was a wildlife biologist for the Idaho Fish and Game for 10 years. Um, and then just this past November, you know, I so for the past uh, five years or so, I, uh, I, I've been, um, you know, running Twisted Stave and kind of trying to build that brand. And uh, just this past November decided that I wasn't going to be able to do both of them. And so I uh, gave my notice and now I am flying solo. Congratulations on that. Um, You also have, you're also a book writer, correct? I I try to be. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the traditional Bowyer's handbook. Okay. So that's a project that I actually started about two years ago and got about 17,000 words into it and kind of forgot it. They had some other stuff come up. I don't remember. And uh, so it sat on the shelf for a while. And then, well, I guess it's probably been, you know, nine months ago or so. I picked it back up and really got after it because I knew that I knew that this uh, career change was coming. And so I wanted to get it, uh, get it finished Got a lot done. Got some help from some awesome guys. Um, Ryan Gill from down in Florida. Um, Carson Brown out of, out of Oregon. Um, uh, Jim Rimp out of Montana. Um, they, these guys, so there's, there's so many different woods that you can make bows out of. And I don't have experience with all of them. And so I, I got in contact with some of these other bowyers that um, are just uh, – just make amazing bows and they were gracious enough to uh to help me out with uh with some of the the bow built the the bow wood chapter and so i've got a uh the first chapter in there is about different bow woods from around the country it talks about you know the peculiarities of that wood um what you need to do to harvest it what you need to look for um what designs it works best in and uh, just kind of goes from there, goes through the whole process, talks about um, building uh, long bows and flat bows and recurves and uh, string making and uh, even have a, 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 a pretty significant chapter in there on arrows that uh, Andy Ponce from Addictive Archery helped out with tremendously. So it's, uh, it's pretty comprehensive when it comes to bow building. Nice. I'm definitely going to have to place an order on something like on that book for uh, for myself when I decide to uh, make the leap into building a self bow. Do you do you do any uh, one-on-one stuff? Do you do any classes or anything like that? Yes, yeah, so I do uh, I do uh, bow building classes here at my shop in North Idaho and I I I do some one-on-one stuff, uh, but I I really like to get a small group of guys that are friends or family, you know, like uh, just buddies or uh, father and son or something like that. Um, and uh, we've got a, a nice little cabin here, like a, a nice little guest cabin where folks come and stay. 
and uh, they spend you know four or five days out here uh, whittling on a bow and when they leave they've uh, they've got a nice self bow in their hands nice that that sounds like a great uh great vacation for for anyone to to come out there it's wanting to learn how to build a bow or has kids or a family that wants to make a quick uh, vacation that'd be pretty cool with your self bows and all that and your your arrow setup do you do you have a high foc you know mark and i um both are running really high foc setups mainly because we're not we're not shooting a real heavy bow we're shooting around 50 pounds for most of the setup so we like to have a high foc we believe it helps with penetration and accuracy and stuff like that and i was just kind of interested in your thoughts um we have we had brian broderick on not too long ago and, and brian's not a huge foc guy he's more about having weight distributed throughout the arrow and just more of a heavy arrow versus worrying about foc too much so i was just kind of curious on your opinion i always know that everybody's sometimes different on those things yeah yeah absolutely no i am a firm believer in uh, uh in high foc arrows i from uh it, it just makes sense to me i mean the physics the way things work it just makes perfect sense um and i it, anybody who has spent the time to go through dr ed ashby's research and watch the videos that he's put out i don't know how anybody can watch that stuff and read that stuff and not be convinced because it is absolutely spot on um and even in just my own shooting i can tell a huge difference between high foc and more of the standard you know eight ten twelve percent you know um the, the the issues that i run into like like you guys shoot carbon arrows i'm sure and um so you you can really you have a lot of latitude to mess with your foc and you can really push that that really far forward but for me when i'm using natural materials so either a wood shaft or, or what I've been uh, experimenting with lately is, is uh, cane. The physical weight of the shaft makes it hard to really get a high, a really high FOC arrow, um, and and stay within a reasonable arrow weight. You know, I could I could get twenty five percent on a on a Doug first shaft, but I'd have to shoot a four hundred grain head on it. And the <laughs> arrow would weigh twelve hundred grains, uh, um, and so. You know, with something like a, a Port Arthur Cedar or something like that, and a 300 grain head and a tapered shaft, I can get, I could get like 17 percent. You know, and but my arrow still weighed over 650 grains, uh, which isn't bad. But you know, that just you know, if you're shooting at longer distances, um, you know, that just makes your aiming or your distance estimation that much more critical. Yeah. Um, but uh, here here recently i've been i've been doing a lot of experimenting with with uh cane arrows and i actually just this morning ordered 700 of them so i'm going to be uh retailing those on my site here before too long <laughs> um but uh the 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 good thing about cane is well there's a couple of good things um one is it's damn near indestructible um two is it's uh physically lighter than most 
wood shafts um, of comparable spine ranges. And so you have a lot more latitude and, and playing with your FOC. And um, I don't know if you guys saw that last video that I put out about FOC, but uh, with, a, with a cane arrow, a 200 grain broadhead, I was able to get, I can't remember what the total arrow weight, but it was less than 500 grains. I was able to get 22% FOC on that arrow, and that's the that's the highest I've ever gotten on a natural material a natural material arrow um, within the, and keeping that arrow weight within a reasonable range. Um, and the other good thing is, uh, and another one of uh, Dr. Ashby's suggestions was a small diameter shaft. Um, some of these shafts I'm getting are 65 pounds and like five sixteenths. I mean, they're tiny little things. Um, and so when you put a, a, a tip with a larger ferrule on a small diameter shaft like that, man, it will blow through some stuff. <laughs> Have you noticed your accuracy improve as well? Yes. Um, not so much accuracy. Uh, uh, definitely the, uh, uh, I can shoot the same arrow out of multiple bows mm -hmm. um, and they, they tend to like, like uh, they're more forgiving, I, I guess. And yeah. in, uh, in spine um, seems to be. And what, you know, we're, I'm big into the Ashby stuff too. And we had Dr. Ashby on here not too long ago. And that podcast is doing phenomenal for us. So if anybody hasn't listened to it, make sure you go listen to that. But what I wanted to ask you, Clay, is building yourself bows. What's your? Uh, how do you like to cut the bows to center, or do you like to cut them before center, past center? Uh, how? Where do you like to cut them? I'm assuming before center, so that you can get higher FOC out of your arrows. Yeah, yeah. All of my all of my bows are cut uh, before center. I mean, you if you made your handle deep enough you could cut it to or even past center. Um, I've just never felt the need to, to, to go there. Um, but yeah, my, my shelves are cut in pretty deep. Um, and actually, I mean, it, like a lot of people uh, will give you a little bit of grief in the, in the primitive archery circles for cutting a shelf into a self bow. It's, it's, it's kind of comical actually, but <laughs> um, yeah, I cut it. I, I cut a shelf into all my bows, and I, I cut them fairly deep, um, but not to not not quite to center. Gotcha. Now, do you do you put any strike plate material on there? What are you using for like strike plate material, or you know, on your rest? Yeah. Um, so I usually just glue a piece of uh, a piece of leather on my shelf, and then also on the uh, on the side there. Um, and, but I recently got, I don't know what it's called. It's, it's almost like Cordovan leather mm -hmm. or, uh, it's some sort of real slick stuff that, uh, that Andy, uh, with addictive archery sent me not too long ago. And, um, I like the way that stuff works. It, uh, it's, it's pretty slick, um, you know, quiet. So I've always, I've had good luck with just like calf hair and that's what I generally use. I go back and forth, but. Right now, I'm shooting a lot of calf hair. I seem to just have better arrow flight, and it's a whole different story for me. I mean, I am shooting carbons and more of the modern glass bows and stuff like that, but I I have found to get, I mean, and I'm 
extreme extreme i'm at like 32 percent or something with the carbon areas i have but i've i've had to build my shelf out wow. to almost it's like one fourth before center or one eighth before center somewhere in there so it's built out pretty well but mm -hmm. um I get it. I'm shooting darts. So, that, that's, so that's just, and that's just, uh, because you can't find arrows that are spine and heavy enough. Well, I I'm trying to shoot this, the lightest shaft that I can, which is a 500 spine and it's like 5.6 grains per inch. So oh, I had true. a bunch of them and I could have went up to a 400 spine and eliminated that and not had to build it out as far, but I was like, eh, we'll see how this works. And I built it out that far and it, it's really, it's, it's the bow that I'm shooting right now is, uh, a striker RK one. So they have like spacers that I can add in behind the strike plate. So it, it makes it pretty convenient to build it out. Um, and those arrows are mm -hmm. cut down pretty short. Too, yeah. They're, so I mean, I only, stiff. another reason why I can get it to work is because I only have a 27 inch draw. So I have them cut to, I think, mm -hmm. Well, almost 20, a little less than 28 inches is where my arrows are at, but it's pretty crazy. I think I mm -hmm. could even get a little more. I could add a little more tip weight if I wanted to, but <laughs> uh, it's fun anyways, tinkering with it. So so what are you running up from? What, what, uh, what grain head? I am shooting right now a 250 grain head with a 75 grain out, outsert on there. So I run the Valkyrie stuff. Um <laughs> But I am shooting okay. a, I'm shooting a single bevel two blade from uh, Grizzly, so it's actually, it's the Grizzly. But Bill Ground, he also came out with a, it's called the Bruin, which is a double bevel. Um, so the bevel's a little wider on that. So I had him specifically grind it into a single bevel for me, so that they're. They have a, a just a little bit of a wider bevel. They're a pretty nasty head, but that's what I shot this year um, out mm. of it. Uh -huh. Do you shoot a single bevel uh, two blade? What kind of uh, broadhead are you running? I've shot single bevels, double bevels. Uh, uh, this past year, I was shooting the Eclipse uh, uh, double bevel, and I ended up shooting a I didn't kill an elk this year. I shot. I killed a killed a whitetail with my self bow this year, but um, yeah, that's the that's the one I've been running this year. Nice. Do you have a preference either way, or you know, what's your preferred head that you would run? Um, I like the I like the single bevel heads um, and the the three. Uh, what is it? Three to one. Three mm -hmm. to one ratio. Yep. Um, I, I mean, there's so many great heads out there these days. I mean, Tough Head makes a great one. Uh, the Grizzly heads. I haven't shot. So Grizzly changed hands a little while back, and I don't think I've shot their heads since uh, since that uh, change took place. Yeah. Um, but I used to get the Grizzlies back before, um, you know, back a long time ago when you had to, sh like, put – there wasn't even an edge on them. You had to grind the edge down yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> they're pretty nasty. No, there's, now. there's some, there's a lot of really, yeah, that's what I've heard. I, I haven't had them. I haven't, uh, I haven't tried them though. I'll have to send you some. I have quite a few, but the, the, the grind on them is extremely well. Now they're really, really easy to sharpen. They stay pretty sharp. Um, 
They're they're a great head. That's all I've used probably for the last ooh, five six years now, and uh, I've yet knock on wood. I have yet to lose an animal with them. They don't they don't bleed real well. I've I've never really got a real good blood trail with them, but um they all seem to fall within sight or only go, you know, 50 or 60 yards and pile up. So I don't really need a blood trail too much, but it's still, you know, like any bow hunter that would bother them if they don't bleed real well. But they just seem to break bone real well and slip through pretty quick that um they close they close up pretty quick but they they do the job that's for sure well thanks so much clay for coming on we like to keep the podcast around an hour and we're getting pretty close to that but i'd i'd love to have you back on here uh sometime soon just to talk you know we haven't really talked too much on our, our podcast about conservation and i know you're big into the conservation role and and uh love to pick your brain about you know wildlife biology and stuff like that there's so many topics we could cover but you know for the first time that we have you on i just kind of wanted to talk about self bows a little bit we've never really had a podcast designated to that type of thing and it's something that i've always been interested in so yeah yeah well uh you guys need to make, put it on your calendar to come out to one of the, the backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous uh one year that's uh just coming up in uh, middle of April, so I'll be there uh, giving a talk on stalking and still hunting. And come on out. That'd be awesome. I am a member. I I actually just spoke with someone here in Pennsylvania about meeting up with them for the or sending out some, I think some giveaway stuff out to the the big rendezvous out there. So yeah, I definitely I'm a member, but I need to be more involved. Put it that way. So. Yeah, it's it's a uh, a tremendous group of folks. Um, I was at a, uh, a BHA rendezvous here a couple of years ago in Spokane, and I don't remember the the, name, the, the fellow's name, but there's an outdoor writer there, and uh, we got to talking, and he's like, you know, I go to these types of functions all over the country. I go to Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Wild Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, all this stuff and cover all these things and write stories on them. And there is not one single other organization that I've been to that you can pick out anybody out of the crowd and 99 times out of 100, they're going to be someone who gets into the backcountry and actually haunts their tail off. Um, and so I think that is a, a credit to BHA and the type of folks that make up that organization. I mean, they are hardcore uh, backcountry folks. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I definitely uh, would like to make it out sometime. It sounds great. Where where can everybody where can everybody find you, Clay? Uh, you know, give yourself a good plug here. So if anybody has any questions or wants to to look up your YouTube stuff or anything like that, where can everybody find you? Uh, yeah, if you, so uh, first of all, my website is twistedstave.com. Uh, you can access all my social stuff through there. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook. I think it's, well, I can't remember. I, made, I changed it a little while back, but um, <laughs> I think it's Clay Hayes Hunter. <laughs> but uh, my Instagram is Clay Hayes Hunter. Um, and so you, could, uh, you can find me on there. Great. Sounds great, Clay. I know uh, I need to 
to get caught up on some of your YouTube stuff. I've yet to watch the what the FOC is uh, one of your, I'm on your website right now. So I need to, I need to watch that and a few <laughs> others, but thanks for everything you do for the traditional archery community and uh, helping the expedite the learning curve. When is, when is your podcast dropping? You need, you need one for uh self bows, man. I'm just happy to, to bum off of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, we could definitely use more, that's for sure. But thanks again, Clay, for coming on. We appreciate it. We'll we'll have to have you on here uh, sometime soon. All right, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, see you, buddy. Well, guys, on the drive home, Kevin called me and was like, hey, we forgot to record an outro. And if you couldn't tell by the, uh, by the qu- amount of questions that I asked, I coughed more during that podcast than uh engaged in the conversation and uh that's because i've been sick and it sucks but i told kevin that i'd take care of the outro so uh, one thing that was funny about that drive home and the conversation that kevin and i had after the podcast was that uh, i made the comment that i really wanted to go home and like find an axe and go and find a tree and chop it down just because I feel like it would make me more of a man. Um, anytime I've ever cut firewood or you're chopping down trees, it's just an awesome experience. So I can only imagine planting a tree, uh, watching it grow throughout the next 20, 30 years, cutting it down and building a bow out of it, and then going and harvesting an animal. So if you're into that too, um, check out Clay Hayes' website. Um, there's no reason not to try something new this year. So I don't think it's the year of my self bow journey, but definitely something down the road that uh, I'd love to look into and do. And, and Clay is an expert on that. Uh, he's the real deal. So we had a blast talking to him. Always good stuff going on. So we'll see you guys next time. As always, stay safe and shoot straight. There's a, I, I, there's a,